0: Welcome back to the
1: MarTech Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Knit. Knit enables businesses of all sizes to reach potential customers through audio ads on premium podcasts like CNN, Bleacher Report, and TMZ. They are a dynamic ad insertion platform that allows you to reach your audience by choosing which shows, geographies, and keywords you want to target with podcast ads. And since Knit is a self-service platform, there's no minimum order size to get started. I am a Knit customer, and I can vouch that it's an incredibly easy and cost-efficient way to market your products or services. If you're interested in learning about podcast advertising, you can book a 30-minute strategy session with me to learn about the Knit platform by clicking the link in our show notes or by going to benjshapcom slash knit. That's K-N-I-T. So click on the link in our show notes or head over to benjshapcom slash knit to schedule your podcast advertising strategy session and start building your audience with Knit bringing podcast advertising to the people that's knit. Okay, today we're going to continue our conversation about a channel that most marketers do not associate with technology, public relations. Joining us is Lindsay Stewart, who is the Vice President of Business Intelligence at the Max Borges Agency, which is a consumer technology-focused PR firm. Lindsay and her team at the Max Borges Agency have developed a data-driven marketing strategy using media relations, influencer relations, and social media to drive brand results for companies including AT&T, Marshall, DirecTV, and Strava. In our last episode, Lindsay walked us through her approach to generating brand buzz using PR. If you missed the episode, it was really insightful, and I recommend you go back and give it a listen. That said... Today, Lindsay is going to talk to us about the technology and data she uses to create compelling content for technology brands. Here's the second part of our interview with Lindsay Stewart, the Vice President of Business Intelligence at the Max Borges Agency. Lindsay, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. It's
1: wonderful to have you back. In our last episode, you talked us through your approach to PR and how it's a little different than the classic PR agency. And how you're using some technology to not only create compelling stories, but to think about the media and then also to evaluate whether your campaigns are successful. Today, I want to dig into a little bit more about how you use business intelligence, which is part of your title, to create compelling content. So let's start off by talking about what are some of the tools that you use to gather data that you can feed into an article about one of your customers.
2: Absolutely. So a few different things and approaches that we use. One of the things that we do is we use a tool called NetBase, which is a social listening tool. Have you ever heard of it?
1: No, new to NetBase.
2: Basically, it's just a way for you to kind of scrape all those online conversations that you see across the web, across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and understand some of the trends amongst those conversations. So. It's a great way for us to be able to, one, do industry research into what kind of online conversations are happening that we can potentially tap into and pitch for storylines for our clients. So each time a new client comes on board, we'll want to take a pretty exhaustive look at their industry within online conversations to understand what are the media talking about, what are consumers talking about, and how can we leverage those insights to pitch it more effectively. And then in addition, we're able to kind of pull all of those online conversations and understand some trends amongst consumer conversations that we could potentially share out to media alone, just in what kind of trends we're seeing in certain hashtags that are being used and what media would be interested in.
1: So you're using a social signal to try to gauge what is compelling content. Yes, are you doing any surveying? Are you collecting your own data? Are there any other places that you gather data about your customers?
2: Yes. So for many of our clients, we'll go in and do a consumer survey where we're looking at a specific topic. One of the ones that we did recently was looking at dating trends. We have a client called Declutter. Um, they buy and sell old technology. So like if you have a phone that you want to trade in, they'll buy your old phone. And we wanted to see specifically what some of the preconceptions were amongst singles about which phone they want their significant other to have, specifically with first date. So we had the assumption that iPhone users might be a little bit more dateable than Android users. So we wanted to um, see if that was indeed correct. And it actually was very interesting. We found that things like men who are on a first date with a woman who has a cracked screen think they might be financially insecure we found that most people would prefer to date iPhone users. So it was just kind of like a fun exploration of this topic. And we were able to get a lot of media interest out of it.
1: We got to dig into that more. Hang on a second. (laughs) So the iPhone's a sexy phone. I get it. But if a man has a crack screen, then they're financially unstable. Or if it's a woman has a crack screen, then men are concerned that they are financially unstable.
2: I believe it was the men thought that women were financially insecure if they had a broken screen and that women were more likely to judge men based on having an old phone model.
1: Guys, quit being so judgmental. Come on. (laughs) Sorry. Back to marketing and technology.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was our reaction too. We were just interested because there's so many things that go into a first date and first impressions. And we were just curious how much that would play into it.
1: I haven't gone on a first date in nine years, but I can tell you that nine years ago, the last thing I was looking at was my wife's phone.
2: <laughs> and some people did comment on that, that everybody's shallow, but other people said, you know, it's the blue bubbles, not the green bubbles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've heard that one before, too.
2: That was what inspired it, actually. <laughs> right. Another one that we did was for one of our clients, Think Geek. We did a state map where we found what was the most popular PIE versus PI, just kind of as a playful way of taking advantage of Pi Day. So these are just kind of some fun things that we've done for clients that have helped generate some brand awareness and backlinks to their sites.
1: So a lot of this seems relatively pithy, where you're looking at social trends and trying to come up with something that is, I guess, cute. Are you doing any sort of like more significant research where people are creating consumer technologies? I imagine some of the wearables and the health space, are you asking people about what their health benefits are or health activities? Are you actually collecting data or are you really just using that social signal?
2: It just depends on each client. For Strava, for example, we use a lot of their internal data to produce stories. So for example, we take a lot of their running routes and most popular routes for people who are, use their app to define you know, the top running cities, for example, or the top running routes around certain metropolitan areas. So using internal data is another thing that's especially valuable for tech clients because so many of them have these vast amounts of data that can be used for the purposes of crafting stories like these. So we're certainly always looking into that. Similarly, with the same company I mentioned earlier, Declutter, with this recent iPhone launch, we were looking at the rise and fall of trade-in values in relation to when the iPhone was launched to recommend when consumers should be trading in their phones and giving them a feel for what kind of depreciation they're going to end up having if they wait too long to make that trade-in.
1: So are there any other storylines that you've created that are specifically interesting or compelling? I just think this is fun stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the, to your question about kind of tying it more into their direct business, one of the things that we recently, well, it was about a year ago, I believe for a company called RCA, they do antennas and basically their focus was really around cutting the cord. They really wanted to position their agency executives as leaders within this conversation around cutting the cord. So we worked with a writer called Mike Snyder over at USA Today and kind of gave him our thoughts on what we wanted to do in terms of digging into cord cutting. So what we did was we worked with him to commission a research survey out to the general population on just how they are switching and cutting the cord and some of the value that they're getting out of cutting the cord. And we were able to make it really compelling to the USA Today audience by working directly with that writer. And as a result, we were able to get in both their print edition of USA Today. We were also online and it was all focused on cutting the cord to cut or not to cut. And we were also able to get our main contact there at RCA quoted within all of the article. And they continue to kind of source him as an expert in this area. So it was definitely helpful for executive positioning and kind of using the data that we gleaned from that survey to be able to do that.
1: I'm in the process of moving from the city to the suburbs, and cutting the cord has been a pretty regular research topic for me. I'm going to have to go find that article. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutnex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Tell me a little bit about how you're using data and technology, not specifically to craft your storylines, but to put together the strategy for your clients. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So um, a few different ways. One of the things that we actually recently did was We went in and worked with a company called Axiom, where we basically pulled in all of the customer data from one of our clients. I'm not going to name which one, but we pulled in their email addresses and were able to kind of cross-reference against all of the demographic profiles of these customers so that we could better understand how to target them in the future or target similar like-minded people in the future rather. So what kind of TV shows do they watch? What online sites do they tend to visit on a regular basis? And more importantly, how are they using social media and digital methods to learn about brands? What's the receptiveness to certain advertising types? And all of that was cross-referenced against the Axiom database to learn more about them so that we can kind of help to drive our media strategy, our editorial strategy, and understand what's the most important place for them to be.
1: So you have a list of your customers' customer profiles, and you're basically doing demographic research on them using Axiom's database. Is that something that you need a subscription for Axiom? How does that model work?
2: Typically, it's just a partnership with Axiom. You don't have to have a continued subscription with them. We just work with them on occasion for clients where we're really trying to dig into this type of data and really understand customers and how we can reach them. But there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Axiom is actually one of the data providers that has worked with Facebook for years. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Audience Insights tool in the back end of Facebook, but once upon a time before the days of Cambridge Analytica... There was a lot more information on the back end of Facebook provided insight into buying behaviors and along with a few others were what fed that data. So Facebook no longer has that capability, but that's some of the changes that they've been making as of late.
1: I was going to say, I probably shouldn't know this. Did Facebook take down their audience insight platform after Cambridge Analytica?
2: They haven't taken it down. It's just changed. So it's there. It's just there's a lot of areas that have been cut back on, and that's actually one of the tools that we historically used for audience profiling for a lot of our clients when we started on on strategy mapping. We would go in and create an audience based on their list of customers, so that we understood exactly who is in their customer base. Now it's not as robust as it once was, primarily because of those third party providers now not working with them.
1: Are there any other ways now that Facebook isn't as robust that you can find out information about who the customers are and what their behaviors are?
2: Axiom is one way, just kind of going directly to the third party. And that's kind of why we ended up going around it and doing it that way instead. But there's many different partners like Axiom that provide that type of information. But Axiom is definitely one of the most comprehensive databases and definitely has a lot of offerings that you can tap into for that type of audience research. One of the things that we recently did as well is for newer clients when they come through the door and they might not know exactly who they're trying to target, we will go out and give consumers a range of different features and qualities about the product that we're going to be promoting And then back into those that are most interested in the concept, what are their demographic qualities? So do they tend to be more tech savvy? Are they younger? What kind of household income do they have? And dozens of other criteria to help them better define who that target audience is at the very outset when it's a little too early to have customers.
1: Interesting. So what's interesting to me is we talked a little bit about how you're creating content and you're using sort of a social listening channel to be able to figure out what's going to be pithy, compelling, clickable content. And then you're also able to use your customer's data to be able to understand who specifically they should be going after and learn their customer demographics. I imagine that there are some similar trends looking at consumer tech companies and that a lot of these things are happening repeatedly. It's either the same topics or the same channels that are coming up. Have you looked sort of in aggregate at the consumer tech industry and come up with any interesting findings?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So a few different things, actually. We do a biannual collective intelligence report across all of our clients. And basically within that report, we are analyzing some of the trends that we see across the top outlets by vertical. So if we're looking at business outlets, for example, across all of our clients, which ones are the most likely to drive site traffic, which ones are the most likely to drive consumer activity like shares. And then we're also able to look at wider trends across things like retail links with the trend towards more and more of these sites looking to Amazon because of the affiliate kickbacks that they get we're able to identify which ones are most likely to be clicking linking out to Amazon and which ones are most likely to be linking out to a brand site specifically when a lot of our clients are looking for sales on their direct website because they get better margins so all of these insights are extremely helpful for our account teams we do a big presentation where we kind of share This big report that they're able to then translate into actionable ways for them to reach out to media to more effectively communicate the results that we're getting to clients and just be smarter about how we do things. Ultimately, if we know that there's 10% of sites that are driving results and then the rest of them are not, we just focus on the 10%. And that's been extremely helpful and efficient for our team.
1: Makes sense that you have an understanding of which channels to go to within PR to drive different results, whether it be direct response conversion or shares or whatever the other metrics that you're looking at. Let me turn the page a little bit and ask you the same question we asked to everybody who's a guest on our show. What advice do you have for younger marketers who are interested in learning about your channel?
2: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is not to fall into old habits. It's very easy when you get into the PR industry to just kind of go with the standard metric that everyone tells you to go with. And we've taken a very logical approach to PR in that we're looking at the things that we know are most likely to make PR successful. Looking at things like search terms is a viable part of your strategic development process. Looking at things like more precise metrics, like article shares and traffic to site. All of these things are very valuable insights to use when doing your work. And just to be smarter about which things and which outlets you're approaching based on what results you're likely to get out of those. Spreading yourself really thin to go into every outlet possible is not the right approach. It's definitely a quality versus quantity.
1: I think that's a great advice. And the thing that sticks out to me from this conversation is that there is an approach to PR that can be data driven, where you're effectively targeting your customers and not just purely relying on relationships and the man with the pen. And before we let you go, anything we can help you promote ways that potential prospects can get in touch with you.
2: You can visit the maxborgesagency.com and read a little bit more about our clients. We have lots of case studies there on how we've helped tech brands in the past. So if you are a technology brand looking for a smart PR firm that's going to um, have a data-driven approach, we're definitely the one for you.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Lindsay Stewart for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lindsay, you can click on her bio in our show notes or go to the Max Borges Agency website, which is maxborgesagency.com. A special thanks to Knit for sponsoring this podcast. If you're interested in using podcast advertising to grow your reach, click the link in our show notes or go to benjshap.com slash knit, K-N-I-T, to book your complimentary media strategy session with me. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. If you have questions, comments, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, feel free to reach out to through the contact us link in our show notes or via social media. Our company handle is LLC on Twitter and LinkedIn, or you can reach out to my personal handle, which is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got some great episodes lined up for the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed next week. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.